Hi there, Pastor Lars Hammer here from Lord of Grace Lutheran Church in Moran, Arizona. I want to welcome you back to the Walk Through the Psalms, uh, where I look at some passages uh, in the book of Psalms. We'll look at a few verses at a time and reflect a little bit uh, on what it means, maybe on some of its context, and a little bit on what it might mean for us today, uh, expanding on it. I hope it will uh, help you in your spiritual walk, in your journey uh, through life. The Psalms are uh, designed by real people, uh, going through real issues and real struggles, and that's one of the beauties of the Psalms, is that they're people bringing to God their real struggles and their real thoughts. So. Let's get started here today. We're going to look at Psalm 71, and we're going to look at the first three verses of Psalm 71. So, uh, here we go. We'll read through it first, then we'll kind of look at it line by line. In you, O Lord, I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. All right. This, this is an image. God as my rock, and the fortress often comes with it, but God is my rock. That image comes up a lot. There's several psalms that use that poetic language. And I, and I just want to look a little bit at that image. What does that mean? Unpack that a little bit. Um, in a chaotic world where there are lots of struggles, where things are changing, where there is upheaval, I think it's our natural desire as people to want to find something that is solid to anchor ourselves with, whether that's a a physically solid place, like a fortress, like if this was ancient times, you would hide behind the walls of the fortress. They would provide you with a physical security, right? While people were marauding out in the countryside, you would have at least the physical security of being behind the walls. Um, but I think it's natural, you know, whenever we go through uh, times like that and everything seems to be an upheaval and everything is turning, it is very helpful to have something or someone that is solid, that is stable, that doesn't change. Because as human beings, we can only process so much change and so much stress at one time. And, and any change is a lot of stress. That's why they say one of the most stressful things you can do in your life is move. Because why? Everything in your life essentially has to change. They're not all bad changes, but they're changes. You gotta change your address. You gotta change which target you go to. You gotta, you know, on and on and on and on. Uh, and so when every single thing in your life becomes a change, every little change is a certain amount of stress. When you're changing most everything in your life, that's a lot of stress. And that a move is often something we choose to do. Imagine if that's something that's forced upon you. You know, then you would be a refugee, right? You're living and now the moving has been forced upon you. You've, you're running from a war. You're running from Putin's armies and his rockets. Uh, you're running from the Taliban, these kind of things. So now suddenly everything in your life has been thrown upside down. Everything has been changed. And what do you do? Well, as human beings, I think we want something that's solid in life. And so who is our rock? For the psalmist, it's clear 
God is my rock, right? That's where that image comes from. It's a great image. God is the rock. In the midst of everything that goes on, God is the constant. God is steady. Uh, God doesn't change. Uh, my understanding of God may change over time, but God himself doesn't change. And so God is the rock, the thing that is stable. And that's a great image to turn to. I always look at this and I get maybe a little nervous. I don't know if that's right, the right word. There's a certain hesitancy that I also have with this image of God being a rock. And the hesitancy comes from understanding that the difference between God is my rock and the things of my faith about God are the rock. So God is my rock, not the church is my rock. The church can be a solid influence for people, but ultimately the church isn't God, right? The church is full of people. Um, the liturgy is my rock. I love the liturgy, but it's not immutable and eternal. Uh, God is not the liturgy. Uh, my doctrines are my rock. Right? I believe certain things. I hold these truths to be revealed by God. They are certain. They are solid. No matter what else happens in the world and the culture, I have these solid things. Right? My beliefs become my rock. Or my um, social positions become my rock. Right? I believe X, Y, Z about uh, marriage or sexuality or something. Um, and those beliefs, they're revealed, they're unchanging, they fell from heaven, they're absolute, right? Well, they're still not God. Even if God did drop those moral laws from heaven, we don't really believe that in the Lutheran church, but let's say we did, they're still not God. There's nothing else that is God but God. God is the anchor, right? God is the rock. And I think that's a real, it's important to kind of hold that in your consciousness, to always be aware of that, that no matter how much uh, something else may have the function for you of being a, a solid thing, it's still not God. And I know that feeling, you know. Uh, God was there very much for me, you know, when I was in college, and, and things are always in flux in college, and your beliefs are always being challenged because professors love to debunk anything that seems like a traditional Christian belief, you know, and they want to shock you and debunk you and they want to, they want to disrupt you. They live for that stuff, right? And so then, you know, you go into a crisis and it can be very tempting in that moment to turn towards things that are familiar, that you don't perceive as changing, as a reaction against the discomfort caused by all that disruption, right? It can be easy to fall into a reaction. Things are changing, and rather than calmly analyzing the change and deciding to go along with it or mostly go along with it, there's a human tendency to just react against it. And a reaction isn't a very wise thing. Um, you know, we saw what happened when the Catholic Church was, uh, had their view of the world disrupted by Galileo, right? They taught, even though the Bible doesn't say so, they taught the earth, the sun revolves around the earth, right? Um, and, you know, we get it why people believe that, because that's what it looks like when you're standing there. Uh, but they believed that, and they stuck with that. That was the doctrine, that was the teaching. And when Galileo took out his telescope and said, no, I think we got it wrong. It's actually the other way. 
What was the reaction? Oh, let me think and let's sit down, Galileo. That's some interesting information. Uh, let's analyze this and maybe revise what we're thinking and maybe our teachings will update our teachings a little bit. No, the response was, Galileo, you're excommunicated, you can go to hell, which is in the Middle Ages literally what it meant. Being kicked out of communion, being denied communion meant you can't get forgiveness, means you go to hell. So they condemned Galileo to hell. That's a reaction to change. And in a world like ours where everything is always changing all the time, how do we respond to that as people of faith? Do we respond to these pressures, these changes, these disruptions, these people poking at, you know, your beliefs or trying to debunk it, you know? Um, do we respond to that in a calm way of saying, hmm, let me look at that and weigh that and consider that. No, now that may be a good point. I don't entirely agree with that, but that's a good point. Is that what we do? Or when we get confronted with one of those things, do we respond and react and start doubling down on everything we have that we connect with our faith because what we're trying to do is have a solid rock in an unchanging world. And this is where I go back to the psalm and say, the psalmist doesn't say that anything is the rock but, but God. Verse three, be to me a rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me, for you are my rock and my refuge. God alone is the rock and the refuge. I believe if we, in our faith walks, have a relationship with God, a connection with God, if we dwell in God's presence, if we have that, that's really all we need for a rock. Everything else we could change or not change, depending on. Everything else that comes our way, all those disruptions, they shouldn't scare us or make us feel threatened. If we have that relationship with God that fills our heart with love, that fills us with God's presence. If you really feel that presence and are dwelling in God's presence that way, change isn't this big, scary, threatening thing. But if you confuse the things of our faith that bring us to God and that point to God, if you confuse them for God, then it can get real hard to change those things. And so, uh, let me uh, give you a little graphic. I made a graphic, um, and it's not, it's not going to win any art awards here. Uh, if you watch my sermons, you know I do this all the time. I don't have a whiteboard, so I just scrawl on paper, but here you go. This is me graphing it out because I'm a visual person and it helps, but if you're just listening to it, here's what it says. Ritual, leads to predictability, which leads to less anxiety. So from a, I guess you'd say sociological standpoint, part of the purpose of ritual is to give us continuity in our lives with the future. What is going to happen next? If we have ritual, then there's predictability, then I know what's going to happen. Because when we don't know what's going to happen, what do we have? uncertainty, unpredictability. What does unpredictability cause us? Anxiety. 
And that's not a bad thing, right? When you're going out, you're hunting mammoth, say, uh, if you know what's behind that rock, why me worry? I have nothing to worry about. If you don't know what's behind that rock, then you gotta be careful. Could it be a saber-toothed tiger? Could it be an angry mammoth? Could it be one of those giant ice age bears? Um, you don't know. And when you don't know, you gotta be a little bit, it creates stress, it creates nervousness. If you have the ritual, you have the predictability. And so it has a very good effect. It's why ritual is a good thing. Um, and why I believe ritual and worship is a good thing. Because if you have some idea what's going to happen on Sunday, not necessarily be the exact same thing, but if you have a general idea of what's gonna happen, then you can come and you can participate in it without worrying about what's gonna happen next. What do I do next? How's it gonna work? What position am I gonna be in? Am I gonna be asked to say something? Do I have to stand up? All that anxiety, right? And that's the anxiety you always get when you go to a new church, right? You know, there used to be a time, I don't know if churches still do this, where if you were a visitor and it was a little country church, oh, could you stand up and introduce yourself? You know, some people, you're extroverted, that's fine. Other people, that could be the scariest thing ever. It could be intimidating. It can be almost offensive. How dare you put me on the spot like this? And so the anxiety of walking into a new church can just be absolutely overwhelming. Um, if you know what's coming, it's less overwhelming. And you can say the same thing for anything you do, you know? First time you go to a football game, uh, you know, if you know how everything works, there's less stress about it. So we use ritual in a positive way to provide predictability in our lives, to lower our anxiety and our stress, right? It's what you do with your kids. Um, school teachers know that, right? At this time of day, you do this. At this time of day, you do this. And because the kids are not uncertain about their day or anxious about what's going to happen, they can focus on learning their reading, their writing, whatever. So ritual has that effect. But ritual is not God. And that's the, diff that's the key difference here. Don't mistake the ritual that helps us to experience God, right? We do the same ritual our anxiety goes down, we can open ourselves to God's presence. That's the point. It's hard to be open to God's presence when you're anxious and tense and nervous and worried. So ritual has that effect, but the ritual is not God. The ritual is not God, the ritual is not your rock. Eventually it will have to change. But if your relationship with God is solid, you can be less anxious about those other changes. The same thing, reply, I think, applies somewhat with beliefs. We have our beliefs as a church, we have our doctrines, but I don't believe that we have to be so absolutely rigid with them that we can never rethink things. When you start hearing people talk about, you know, God's word as if it fell from heaven uh, mystically and magically, that's where I get kind of nervous because that's one, again, substituting the beliefs about God or the laws and commands that God gives for God. God is the rock, not the beliefs. God is the rock, not the teachings, right? But it can be real easy, real tempting as a person to fall back into rigid beliefs because when we stick rigidly with those things, that gives us a sense of certainty. 
right? When we don't know what's up, that's anxiety. If there's certainty, now it lowers my anxiety because that certainty provides predictability, provides a sense of rightness, which lowers anxiety, right? And again, there are things that I hold very certain. I mean, you know, Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, you know, he died, rose again, etc. There are many things that we believe that we've thought through carefully as a church body and we said these are our beliefs. Um, where this always becomes a big deal with others is uh, do we feel like we have to be that rigid about rules about human sexuality uh, as, as we do about whether Jesus is the Son of God? Can rules about marriage and sexuality be changed and updated or does changing those rules and updating them with the time create anxiety and make us feel threatened? And why should it feel threatened? Why should I care as a boring middle-aged straight guy if two men or two women or two non-binary people or whatever want to get married? Why does that scare me? Why does that threaten me? Why is that something I need to be worried about? Um, I can, that doesn't mean I can't go to church. Why is that a big thing? Well, I think for a lot of churches, what it implies is the world has figured something out that we kind of didn't and is confronting us and disrupting our views and, and introducing the possibility that they aren't absolutely eternal and immutable, revealed from heaven uh, magically, uh, you know, that rules on sexuality can change. And if they are changeable and subject to interpretation, now they've lost their rigidity. They've lost their value as another rock. But again, I come to church to worship God. I come to church to experience God. I come to church to open my heart to God. I come to church to learn where God is telling me to go and serve and love and be a better person. And, and, and God's love alone is enough for me in the church. Changing the view on sexuality doesn't make God any less God. I don't have to have that be an anchor of my faith. I don't need to cling to that. Because if I'm clinging to that, if I'm clinging to an opposition to gay marriage just because I'm afraid that letting go of a rule invented in the Bronze Age is a threat to me, then I am mistaking, I'm mistaking the, the, command, the command from God for God, right? I'm mistaking the teaching for God. God is my rock and the only rock. It doesn't mean we should jump on every bandwagon or support every new idea that comes along. There are some very bad new ideas, but we can investigate new ideas and analyze them and think critically about them without it becoming an emotionally disturbing thing that creates a sense of fear and anxiety and threat uh, and trepidation. So, um, all right, that's my, anal my, my analysis anyways. But that's where I come back with this idea of God is the rock. Um, there's a dark side to it, but at the end of the day, I really do like it. And I really hope that we can, you know, remember that God is the rock and anchors us in relationship, in our hearts, uh, in our prayer lives. And that relationship of God and dwelling in God's presence is so powerful that it makes us not need to find other things to substitute for God to provide us with that anchor. God alone is the anchor.
right? And God alone will walk us through and protect us and guide us through all the changes that may come our way and all the disruptions and challenges that we face. That's all I got for Psalm 71, one through three. Thank you all for tuning in. As always, I hope you have a great day. Feel free to message me if you got any comments or concerns and God bless.